and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. And we use this as a tool to improve our performance. Yes, then we should go ahead and do that. Does it have some risks? Yes, but the risks are low if we stay within, you know, the recommended dosage and timing. The more that we stray out of that, the greater the risk. And if we go to the extremes, you know, the risks actually outweigh the benefits. So I don't usually use things like the term unhealthy, but, um, you know, a tool just like a hammer can hammer a nail or you can like break your foot with it. Ideally, we hammer the nail with it. That doesn't make that the hammer bad just because we can break somebody with it. Just, you know, we have to use it intelligently. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we have Dr. Gabrielle Fundero um, on the podcast. She has her PhD in human nutrition, as well as her bachelor's in exercise, sport, and health education. She is an ACE certified health coach um, and an ISSN sport nutritionist as well. She has a huge list of accolades, which I will list in the show notes because it's longer than my leg, and I would hate to um, go on for the next 45 minutes talking about it. So rather than that, I'll put it in the show notes. And anyway, today we talk with Dr. Fundero about um, energy drinks and stimulants because that's a hot topic. in the industry right now, especially with um, adrenal fatigue. Some people say that exists. Some people say that it doesn't. Um, Also from a different level as far as like the sugar goes. um, And then also on the cardiac level as well, kidneys, things like that. So it's definitely a hot topic and a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of um, speculations about damage that it can cause. And so I searched out an expert in this field so that she could come on and talk about it. And today I have her on the show to share her thoughts on stimulants and energy drinks. So before we get going, if you could just hit the pause button and subscribe to my podcast, it would be very helpful for me so that I can keep bringing professionals on this podcast um, to talk about things like this. So uh, take a moment subscribe, leave me a review. I would love that. And today I brought Dr. Fendero on the, the uh, podcast because I posted something recently um, on my webpage and there was a lot of people that disagreed with that. And so I decided that I was going to strike out and find some knowledge. So here is Dr. Fendero. First of all, I'm really excited to have you on here, and I'm hoping you can introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Dr. Gabrielle Fondero. I uh, run and own Vitamin PhD Nutrition, which is a telehealth company that helps folks sort of change from the inside out. So we work a lot on the mental and emotional aspects and also talking a lot about digestive comfort and the gut microbiome. I am also a a Renaissance periodization nutrition coach and consultant. I started with them a couple years ago, actually before I started my business. Um, and I produce a lot of um, evidence-based and hopefully high quality and useful content on Instagram 
uh, and speak on podcasts quite often about uh, all things related. And I have a, a, an academic history in exercise science and sport nutrition as well. So before I did this, I was a professor and left the ivory tower to, to be self-employed and, uh, and travel for work. So yeah, that's me. That's super awesome. And you've also dabbled in bodybuilding and powerlifting too, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I did a women's physique show back in, oh my gosh, when I was was six years ago now. Um, And then after that, I transitioned to powerlifting and I did quite a few powerlifting meets um, at 63 and 57 kilograms. And uh, then transitioned out of that to just sort of traveling all over the world and being like, I'm just going to maintain. That's awesome. So you are probably okay with all these gym closures and stuff going on right now because of the coronavirus, because you know how to work out in your hotel room. Yes. Yeah. I was like, wow, this isn't, I mean, it's whatever, you know, everything going on externally is really tragic and and troubling, but my lifestyle has been one of, of isolation and nomadism for the better part of a year now. So I'm like, Oh, I, I already had a set of really good resistance bands this whole time. And uh, yeah, I'm used to like living out of my car and living in Airbnb. So that's pretty much what I'm doing. I like just came back. I, I was overseas. And so I quarantined as you know, you should, and then came back to Arizona to pick up my car. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just gonna, I guess, stay here. Cause why would I travel right now? So, yep. Yeah, no, doesn't seem like a, a wise choice. I was thinking about that the other day I had I was supposed to go on a trip and I had to cancel it and I was thinking man you know going in hotel rooms and things like that right now like how do they even make sure that hotel rooms are sterile after all this stuff is going down you know exactly yeah I mean I've told you know the Airbnbs hey I just traveled like you need to make sure that no one is in this Airbnb you know after me for four days and uh, I'm very honest when I say like I got off a plane I'm quarantining right now for two weeks so fortunately I've been quarantined now and so I can uh, just safely stay here for a while and not interact with other people it's a nice thing about being like out in the mountains I'm just not around anyone (laughs) and who I don't know about you but um, I don't know who wouldn't want to quarantine down in Arizona where the weather is (laughs) good Well, you know, I think in a, in a couple months, people have told me that it's going to get a little bit rough down here because I think it'll be, uh, you know, about 110 degrees or so. But hey, you know what? If I want to hang out indoors, everyone else is going to be doing it too. That's awesome. Well, my main reasoning for having you on here today is I had actually reached out to you um, for some information and you were like, hey, actually, I'm your girl. I could help you with that. So <laughs> I was pretty excited about that. You made my quest to find some knowledge pretty easy. Um, so today I was hoping to talk about um, stimulants and energy mm-hmm. drinks and all these things that we love to do, like um, pre-workouts, caffeine seems to be a huge drug of choice for yes. um, athletes in particular, um, and everybody really in, in, a, in the world now. I mean, it's, it's a normal thing for people to mm-hmm. wake up in the morning, drink a few cups of coffee, maybe even a pot of coffee, and then also midday, they're having anywhere from one to three energy drinks. Mm -hmm. And people think that's normal. I mean, even my massage therapist, he was like, I have to have three uh, of these energy drinks a day or I can't function, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a common tale. I hear this all the time. And I know as myself with being a bodybuilding athlete, um, my last prep, I was just dragging terribly and I couldn't cut weight. And pretty soon one thing led to another and I was taking mass amounts of stimulants, fat burners, energy drinks, caffeine, Mm pre-workouts, just crazy. So um, that can have major ramifications, some of which I'm still dealing with. Um, And so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll say that the the International Society of Sport Nutrition has um, a really solid position stand on um, energy drinks in particular. It's a little bit older, uh, but it still is a a pretty comprehensive overview. 
And it's really kind of not by accident, you know, that people use them so often because caffeine is a really effective ergogenic aid. So it improves performance across a wide range of, um, of sport-related activities um, and even, you know, cognitive abilities. So in terms of like mental and physical acuity, uh, caffeine is super effective and has, you know, relatively minimal um, um, risks and dangers, you know, relative to the magnitude of benefit that you can get from it. Of course, there is sort of a dose dependent, uh, like it's an inverse U-shaped curve. So like you have about three to five mg per kilogram, you're going to feel really good. If you have much less than that or much more than that, you're either not going to see much of, a, of an improvement in your performance or you're going to see reductions in performance because you're going to have uh, such increased sympathetic nervous system tone. You're going to, your heart rate's going to be way too high and you may actually uh, just reduce uh, blood flow to um, adipose tissue and that reduces the amount of fat that you can get out to, to use that for energy. So you're increasing your reliance on the stored glycogen. And uh, it's sort of like artificially making yourself work harder <laughs> um, without actually having uh, increased, you know, performance outputs. So we do have to be careful about the amount of caffeine that we're using because we can certainly overshoot if we take in a large amount acutely um, around workouts. And then, of course, if we're taking in uh, caffeine, you know, throughout the day, well, it's got a half-life of about six hours. So that means, you know, even six hours after you've had your energy drink or your cup of coffee, you're still going to have some circulating caffeine. And if that starts to mess with your sleep, well, now you're going to have poor sleep and that impedes your recovery and might increase your appetite. And so, you know, even you, even though you could have a, an acute appetite suppressant effect when you have some caffeine um, or an acute thermogenic effect, if you're super tired for the rest of the day, that really small increase short term is probably going to be overshadowed by just feeling like garbage for the rest of the day because you didn't sleep and you're really tired and now you're just not moving around as much. So it is kind of a Goldilocks thing there. We have to get the right amount, you know, about an hour before your workout, you're probably going to feel really great. But if you're just pounding it all day, then you're probably going to see, um, you know, a, a diminished return on investment. Right. Now, for those that don't work out, um, I I had some questions about that because mm -hmm. there seems to also be this misnomer that you can take these fat burning thermogenic pills. Sometimes they're thermogenic, mm -hmm. sometimes they're not. They're just fat burners sometimes. And um, there's even some that have been removed from the market because they're yeah. so aggressive. Yeah. But, um, from my understanding, most of these fat burners need to be utilized along with exercise in order to be effective because they're actually mobilizing the, the fat and making it so that then your body can uptake it for energy. But then if you're not using that energy, you're just kind of mobilizing this fat for no reason. Yeah, that's a really good um, differentiation I used to make with my students that lipolysis or fat breakdown is a different process from actual fat oxidation. So beta oxidation, where we're taking that, that lipid molecule and we're actually breaking it down and making ATP from it. If you're just undergoing lipolysis, you're just taking the, the lipids off the glycerol backbone and you don't do anything with them. It's sort of like you took the Legos apart. You didn't make anything new with them. You just put them back together. So you're yeah, exactly, you're, you're kind of like liberalizing it. And then you're like, oh, your body says, I'm not in an energy deficit right now. I don't have to use this. They just put it back together. And the same thing actually happens with exercise too. Your body actually uh, really ramps up rates of lipolysis. So you'll have all these free floating fatty acids. And then like after your workout, they just kind of get tidied back up. You just store them back again uh, as triglycerides. And it's uh, also, I think there's like um, a, a fat, I don't know if they use like I think they just use like extreme cold. I can't remember what it's called, but it's the same thing where they're causing lipolysis, but it's not the same thing as fat oxidation. And even if they do have a product that, you know, increases metabolic rate a little bit, like maybe a 10% increase in metabolic rate for a few hours, that might be, oh, I don't know, 150, 200 calories. Um, and then if you're compensating for that later in the day, then you're still going to be in energy balance. So really it's, it's just you know, it might give you a little bit of an acute boost of energy, but aside from that, it's not going to be able to overcome the loss of thermodynamics. Like you still will need to have an energy deficit. Awesome. That's what I was wondering because a lot of people out there 
And that was my understanding, but I wanted to clear it with a professional like yourself. Cause there's a lot of people out there that they think, Oh, okay. Well, if I drink coffee, I'm going to burn more calories per day. And if I, um, take this fat burner, then I'm going to be burning fat while I'm just working away at my computer. And it just doesn't quite work that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's such a great point. Awesome. Um, so now back to the energy drinks and the, the large consumption of stimulants, um, when people start doing too much, like you said, that they're kind of get stuck in this vicious cycle, right? Because sometimes they're, they're um, interfering with their sleep and stuff, but how about their sympathetic nervous system? Because like you said, you're turning that on. And when you're constantly filling it with more stimulants and you're keeping it on, what kind of ramifications are there with that? Well, so the interesting thing with, with nervous system is that the, the activities are regulated by, by ligands or by compounds binding to receptors. And one of the ways that our body can regulate its response is to actually change the number of receptors that are being expressed. So over time, that means that we can be, we, we aren't as responsive to, to that caffeine. So we can build up a tolerance to it. So our bodies are really great at maintaining homeostasis and making sure that, you know, we don't kind of um, burn out our sympathetic nervous systems, that, that it might happen acutely that we get increased tone, but then we have a parasympathetic nervous system that downregulates that in, in response. And so we do actually maintain homeostasis, but it's kind of more allostasis just things are kind of changing all the time instead of sort of being stable like like we think. Um, so, you know, if we're taking large amounts of caffeine, just eventually we just need more and more and more caffeine over time to get the same response. Uh, that being said, even chronic caffeine users will still get a response to a caffeine dose. So it's not that we ever become completely resistant to it. Uh, and you might just kind of feel bad. I mean, if you take enough, you're going to get, you know, a change in heart rate, you might get some heart palpitations. And certainly, you know, if you have a heart defect of some sort, then, then that poses a much greater risk. But, right. um, you know, overall, like we do, we do adapt and what usually we find, you know, at the extreme ends of, of stimulant use, yes, death is certainly a risk. And that's part of the reason why, you know, like things like ephedra were taken off the market because the things that are the most effective are also the most dangerous. Right. And, you know, that stuff may be off the market, but it still floats around in the athletic world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, and then it also gets abused on top of other major stimulants. Mm -hmm. And that is just a recipe for disaster, I've found. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of it's unfortunate because I think there's this sort of rhetoric of, you know, do whatever it takes and, you know, your health can can come later, like after you've done this. And it's like, well, no, I mean, health has to be sort of the foundation to to any other goal that you're pursuing. I mean, if you, you know, run yourself into the ground, like how are you won't have longevity in the sport. Right. And I think that's like a misconception as a like even with you where you deal with people with gut health and things like that. Um, I think that's a misconception, um, especially in the bodybuilding world, because there's a lot of crooked stuff in the bodybuilding world. But um, in any world, really, it's not just the bodybuilding world. But, um, you know, there's a lot of even down to the diet foods that you're eating and consuming. People are like, well, it doesn't bother me, so I'm going to keep doing it. But how Mm -hmm. do they know if it's bothering them or not? Could they be optimizing their training further by, you know, not eating a bunch of processed Yuck. You know what I mean? So um, I think there's definitely some optimizations that can be made, but that would be a whole nother podcast, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, the other thing with energy drinks is a lot of them are full of artificial um, ingredients, especially Mm -hmm. sweeteners. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that also places a strain on your system over time? Like your kidneys, there's a lot of things out there that talk about them affecting your kidneys and stuff like that? Um, Not as far as I've seen in the literature. So we have to be careful sort of about what model that we're, you know, extrapolating from, because certainly if we um, apply something in cell culture, it's really easy to get it like a huge cytokine storm in cell culture, like all the cells die. And it's like, oh, man, this is killing the gut microbiome. And if you put it in mice, you can dose them super physiologically at doses that humans would not be able to ingest. And, you know, likewise, you get some really terrible responses and 
they develop these big nasty tumors and you know die and, and get like colitis and and then if you give you know a, a normal amount to humans and there's still data emerging on this because in most cases we have maybe one to four studies you know looking at sort of the gut microbiome specifically in humans um you know i think we're we're still um learning about the effects on the gut microbiota um but thus far, it hasn't been anything that's super compelling in humans either. And I would say probably the most benign is aspartame. So they've done several studies on aspartame in humans, even at high doses, and it's just nothing happens. It just goes in one end and out the other. And like the microbes don't seem to care. Your gut hormones don't seem to care. Uh, and that seems to be pretty much par for the course. Now with the... Um, with the sugar alcohols, because those are fermentable, those can have a laxative effect and certainly cause a great deal of GI distress. Now, whether that has you know an impact on the actual microbes themselves, that sort of remains to be seen. Aside from it, it would be considered prebiotic. It would be a, an energy source for them. So that's potential benefit. Uh, but for us, it causes diarrhea and gas and it's very uncomfortable. So it's not ideal. Uh, with the exception of erythritol, that one's not fermentable, but may still uh, have uh, a laxative effect if it's got an osmotic activity in the gut. Then as far as the, the other aspects of human health, um, I think there's been, a, there have been a couple studies that really need to be replicated because they weren't, you know, super well done looking at um, Splenda and um, insulin sensitivity. So it looks like, you know, in some individuals, there may be something going on there, but in, in terms of the rest of human health, I mean, you know, we're comparing it quite often to uh, a sugar sweetened beverage and sugar sweetened beverages are, are the primary contrib contributor of added sugars in the American diet and, you know, could potentially contribute to rates of obesity. So compared to that, <laughs> Um, you know, drinking the equivalent, the, the equal amounts of a sugar sweetened versus um, non-sugar sweetened beverages, you know, the risk to to body weight is much lower. The it, in order to surpass the acceptable daily intake levels of those um, sweeteners, like from from cans or packets, you're looking at about a, a dozen cans of soda a day and anywhere from usually about 40 to 60 plus packets a day. So is it possible for a person to ingest that? Yes, but it's 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 not super probable. And so even if a person's having like three, um, you know, cans of soda a day and then like 12 packets, uh, you know, that that's still like lower than what would be the acceptable daily intake. And even the acceptable daily intake is set at many magnitudes lower than the actual risk um, as calculated in, in uh, rodent models. So there's a big buffer there of, of sort of like safe zone to make sure that we're not ingesting enough of that for it to, to cause the types of issues that are being seen in, in rodent models. Okay. And see, this is part of the reason I love having such a diverse um, amount of people coming on my show because there's so many different opinions on things out there and even oh, yeah. people that are highly educated but everybody kind of has their different thing and so um, it, this is great to be hearing some of this so also along with that though um, I'm sure you're familiar with like the gustatory cells on the tongue mm -hmm. that actually sense the sweetness um, even if it's not something that is necessarily going to be a carbohydrate right so mm -hmm. then your body um, prematurely basically releases insulin because it's getting ready to take care of this sugary sweet substance that's just crossed your taste buds. Um, how do you feel that affects people when they are dieting, um, doing some extreme dieting, and they're not taking in carbohydrates? So there is nothing there for that insulin, no place for that insulin to go. Well, interestingly, I mean, that gustatory response, that first phase of digestion starts without us having to, without anything even having to touch our tongues. So we can see food and smell food and our body begins the process of preparing uh, for digestion and absorption. We even get things like increased gastric motility. Um, so, you know, but, but what effect does that have, you know, on someone mentally? <laughs> 
in in conjunction with an extremely restricted diet uh, that we know will lead to, especially, you know, if they're using rigid restraint, um, that does lead to counter-regulatory eating. That does lead to preoccupation with food. It does lead to cravings. So whether or not I think a person is eating something, um, you know, artificially sweetened, they're going to be experiencing those, those, uh, those thoughts and those cravings um, and potentially disordered eating patterns uh, because of the psychology of dieting and the psychology of restrictive dieting. That's interesting. Cause like I was, some of my clients, for example, mm-hmm. I know that prior to me, they would be drinking, they were doing anything they could to keep their calories low and mm-hmm. their sugar low, and they were consuming all sorts of like diet sodas and, you know, like the skinny syrups that go in your sugar-free coffees and things like that. And I feel like when we change their habits and cons- like if they are consuming those things, consuming them with something that's actually a carbohydrate source, that they weren't binging later on down the road on some kind of you know, something, you know, something usually yeah. they're cra- usually they're craving something that's not something that they want to be eating if they're trying to reach a certain goal. And so right. um, I found that I and that's why I was in, attributing that to the possibility of like, why do people I mean, there is a thing and I'm not trying to be um, judgy or anything like that. But a lot of people say, hey, a lot of people that drink diet soda are overweight you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying this in a mean way or anything like that. But what I'm saying is I feel like that could be a trap for a lot of people going down that sugar-free rabbit hole. Oh, well, I mean, we have to be careful, I think, with the epidemiological data, looking at the correlations between overweight and obesity and, and diet beverage, just like if we're, you know, we're being cautious about extrapolating from studies, you know, a single study on eggs or, or red meat or something, because there are going to be so many other variables that could potentially contribute to elevated body weight. And, um, you know, so could it potentially be that, they uh, have perhaps a, a difficult relationship with food and they're trying to drink these diet beverages in place of the food that they actually want to eat. And later down the line, because they restricted themselves from eating that in a, you know, an amount that would be just sufficient, they then binged on, on the food that they had restricted. Um, and that's quite common. I mean, that, that, that's a, a phenomenon that I mentioned, that counter-regulatory eating, um, sort of born out of the idea of, there's a couple different phenomena. Usually people will um, sort of inaccurately judge their future behavior to say, oh, I'm going to eat this now and I, you know, I'll back back on the diet tomorrow. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of guilt and shame that comes along with that um, eating episode. Uh, so instead of, you know, just having the Diet Coke and a smaller portion of the thing that they wanted to eat. They have the Diet Coke now, and then later they sort of overeat on that thing. Um, But of course, you know, if you're working with clients and you're helping them to establish a new identity and new habits that are aligned with their new values, that that they're then more intrinsically motivated to either choose certain foods or not choose other foods. And so you could see a correlation there, not necessarily completely attributed to having reduced their intake of artificial sweeteners, but it, but correlated with it because they're happening at the same time that they're sort of having a whole lifestyle change and saying, oh, hey, you know what? I can eat this a little bit of this food now and that feels good. And I'll have the a little bit less of the Diet Coke because now I don't feel like I have these unmet cravings. So it sounds like, you know, a lot of what you're doing is probably getting to sort of the mental side of things. Right. That too. I mean, because it is a tough place. I'm coming from somebody that's basically counted calories my whole life. Yeah. You know, that also makes me understanding of the fact that counting calories is not sustainable mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at, at all, by far, you know, and then oftentimes I think that people, they jip themselves so much. And if that's another huge misnomer in the, in the diet culture is that you need to basically starve yourself if you want to mm-hmm. lose weight, which is incorrect. And so I think a lot of people don't really know where they should be for calories. And they just think the less calories they eat, the better. Yeah. And because of that, later on, their body goes nuts. It's hungry. And next thing yeah. you know, it's binging. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. 
Um, I think people are probably not prepared and, and informed as they should be that, you know, prepping for a uh, bodybuilding or a physique show or, you know, doing extreme cuts to make weight, um, those things can absolutely put you at, at elevated risk of developing uh, disordered eating or an eating disorder. I mean, I think that's part of informed consent to say, hey, if you're going to embark on this, like, here's what you need to, to be aware of. And it's not just anecdotal that we've been able to to, to, to do this in humans in, you know, actual um, somewhat unethical research <laughs> projects. Yeah. And, you know, I find that interesting because I think a lot of people now it's become a thing to prep for a bodybuilding show mm-hmm. and they go out and they hire a coach and that's how they're going to get in the best shape of their life. And they use it as a diet and they come out of it with, with a ton of eating disorder, disordered eating oh, yeah. and like, yeah. um, you know, mental eating mental challenges, you know, about their body too, not just eating. So, um, you know, that's a pretty common one. Uh, One that I saw the other day that really intrigued me and I almost reached out to her because I wanted to, I just had a lot of questions was I saw in a bodybuilding forum. This is totally segueing off here, but um, I did see in a bodybuilding forum, this girl posted pictures of herself as an anorexic and like 65 pounds at Mm -hmm. five foot six. And yeah, and the doctors told her she wasn't going to live anymore um, because she was going to die. She was so skinny and she decided to make changes and started weightlifting. And that actually forced her to start eating more. And now she's a bikini pro. Oh, wow. So I was like, whoa, this was a total reverse of the spectrum. And and that totally made me want to talk to her and interview her and see like where her thoughts were about herself now versus Mm -hmm. then, you know, if she died, if it makes it worse or I can see how it could coming from her perspective, make it better. But anyway, it was just really intriguing that it was the complete opposite of what you do see frequently. So, um, Anyway, back to stimulants. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole there. My bad. Um, but back to stimulants. So in your opinion, then, um, do you think that there is any um, things that are unhealthy about doing energy drinks? Or do you think that they're a safe thing in moderation? Or what would be your recommendation to someone or if it was yourself? Certainly safe in moderation. You know, moderation being... Um, less than, less than the, the, you know, 13 cans that you would need for, uh, to exceed the ADI for, for an artificial sweetener. Um, and, you know, if you're wanting to use that to, to increase your performance around a workout, you know, taking it in about an hour before your workout, you know, maybe about 300 migs of caffeine is probably going to be, um, super duper for most people, and then, you know, limiting uh, caffeine intake at least six hours before you need to sleep. I think the other thing to consider is that, you know, in people who are recreationally active, if they're looking at um, energy drinks that, that do contain carbohydrates, just keeping in mind that that is considered a sugar sweetened beverage. And so it's very similar to drinking a soda, um, not to demonize sodas. Certainly, you know, we have discretionary calories and, and plenty of room for snacks and things like that, but just in terms of wanting to limit our added daily sugars to, uh, you know, 25 grams a day. So not the things that are occurring naturally in foods, but this is just the sugars that are added to foods or just the sugars that are found in, in sugar sweetened beverages that if you're drinking a, a soda or an energy drink, that's pretty much going to hit that recommendation. And so, you know, if that's what you want to have for your snack, totally fine. That's not a problem, but just realize that it's going to be a little bit energy dense and you may not need all of those carbohydrates for the type of workout that you're doing. Gotcha. Um, so along with that, how about some of these more extreme stimulants that people are consuming? Um, like, well, for example, I mean, there, there is, there's one that's legal. It's not ephedrine or ephed, which one is it? There is one that is legal and most people can buy it, um, over the counter at their supplement stores and stuff. Um, but it, it comes with a lot of warnings. Like if you look it up on the internet, it's pretty crazy. Is it the, the, I think they just have it. Didn't they have it in like Oxy elite or something? I don't know. It was like a DNA. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but there's a lot of pretty extreme, um, fat burners and pre-workouts out there that are not, not solely 
caffeine. They have a lot of other additives as well that are stimulants. Yeah. I mean, I think for, you know, or, you know, if people do stuff that you can get over the counter, but um, it's, you know, intended for other use that may still have a stimulatory effect. Uh, you know, I mean, that's going to be a, a, a person's decision. I think it needs to be an informed one that, you know, with, uh, again, with increased efficacy, you have increased risk. I mean, I think that goes across like any, any drug, any performance drug, if we want to say that, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. So if it works really well, that means that it is more significantly affecting your physiology and it is disrupting homeostasis. And so if you surpass your body's ability to regulate that, you die. Like that's the thing. That's what happens, you know? Absolutely. And that's definitely not, not an avenue anybody wants to go down no. for sure. Yeah. Um, and so with that being said, um, like for people like myself, where I do have diagnosed HPA axis dysfunction, they pulled me off of all stimulants. Is that something that someday would be a place I can go again for people that have this issue? Or is this just how it goes. I mean, that's something, you know, you work with your, with your GP and your endocrinologist. Um, I know there's a lot of sort of contention about whether, um, adrenal fatigue is an actual diagnosis or it's a pseudo diagnosis. I think it depends on, you know, the type of practitioner that you're speaking to. Um, you know, can we actually like wear out our adrenal glands to where they don't work anymore. Not, not unless we have an actual, you know, adrenal gland disease, Cushing's disease, Addison's disease, you know, those are legitimate diseases of the adrenal glands that, that cause over or under production. But quite often what happens is as we are engaging in a long period of undernutrition and overtraining, and we end up diving deep into red S, you got that, that's uh, relative energy deficiency syndrome, where we may have some amenorrhea, we have for potentially some disordered eating habits, that's not necessarily the case with everyone, but we have impaired performance, impaired recovery, uh, increased overuse injuries, uh, hormonal dysregulation, so our thyroid just kind of shits the bed, it's like, I'm just trying to keep you alive, man, <laughs> like, I'm just going to slow everything down. Um, I think that's usually what accumulates as sort of uh, what people call adrenal uh, fatigue or adrenal insufficiency or, um, you know, an HPA axis dysfunction. Uh, But yeah, that being said, you know, you can absolutely diet yourself into hypothyroidism. Right. I think I might have done that. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm me, but yeah, no, I do have a diagnosis with that. And basically that person that you were just talking about, was me. Yeah. 100%. You're saying this. I'm like, yeah, check, check. (laughs) Uh, Sadly. And so that is one thing that I do warn athletes about Mm -hmm. when um, they start getting a little crazy, because I do see it happen, is that there can be some ramifications um, to your actions when you start stacking a lot of stimulants and overtraining like you said Mm -hmm. not enough sleep too much you know just too much of everything um definitely can get you further away from your goals instead of closer to them yeah exactly I think we have kind of a short side like we're thinking about you know oh the 16 week prep like I just got to get to the the finish line and it's like well man if you're running in a marathon and like you break both your feet and like your knees come off what are you going to do once you hit the finish line? You know, you got to kind of slow, slow it down a little bit and make sure that you get there in one piece. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, especially because at one point and, you know, that's one misnomer that people have about going in the gym is they got to go all in, right? Mm-hmm. If they're going to compete, they've got to go all in, give 150% to their prep. And they don't realize that that can actually be de- detrimental to your look on stage as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that like, like that was me before I started prepping. I was just like, I wanted to go to failure and like work three hours a day. Oh, are you there? Yeah, I heard my. Yeah, can you still? <laughs> yeah, you broke up just a little bit there, but I got you now. Oh, that was. Weird. Um, but yeah, anyway, and that's the thing is it's like, okay, at one point your body needs to rest too. And it needs that for everything, you know, yeah. um, even to, to lose weight. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you are pushing too hard, eventually you're, that will be de- detrimental to the look that you present or the race you're going to run or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So um, that's very interesting. So are there any other points that you want to add on stimulants, things that maybe users of them should know or like, uh, here's a good one. Like a lot of people, they're, they feel like they're stuck in that rut, right? Where they have to to take three to four drinks, you know, high um, energy drinks like a day. Oh yeah. In order to stay moving. Um, at what point is there either an underlying issue or have they just done it so much now that it doesn't affect them? Um, I mean, it's probably a, a combination of both where they, you know, they are not as responsive to caffeine. Um, so they built up a tolerance. They may have a little bit of a dependency going on. So when they try to cut down, you know, they get like a, just a gnarly headache and they feel like crap. Um, maybe they're taking in so much throughout the day that their sleep is really poor. So in, in that case, you know, it's probably prudent to start weaning off a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, there's some evidence that you can, uh, improve your tolerance. So if you kind of wean off and then come back on, you might find that it, uh, it gets its, its, uh, oomph back, but, you know, at least weaning off the PM caffeine so that you're not messing with your sleep. And then you might find, oh, wow, I sleep so much better. I feel a lot better. Now I don't need so much caffeine during the day. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's kind of an investment because as you're weaning off, you probably will have some headaches and some fatigue and, you know, it's just going to be a little bit of a, of an uncomfortable situation. But, um, you know, if that is something that, you, you know, is aligned with your, with your goals and your values to improve your health, um, then, you know, it's something that I think people would be able to really feasibly uh, manage. Okay. So now with that being said, you know, a lot of times, like say you fill out a health history somewhere, Mm -hmm. um, they will ask you how much coffee you drink, you know, like for a health history, is there a benefit to not using any stimulants at all? Uh, coffee actually seems to have, uh, you know, or correlate with some, some improved health outcomes, you know, at least just like, oh, reduced all cause mortality. Um, so I, it looks like, you know, coffee could potentially have some benefits just like, you know, tea might have some benefits because of, of phytochemicals and things like that. Uh, I guess the only benefit that I would see from that is that you will then never risk, you know, building a dependency and then having to wean off. But if you can sort of artfully apply it so that, you know, you're using the stimulants that you're taking in to improve your exercise performance or mental acuity, uh, and then, you know, later on in the day, you're not using it so that you're not messing with your sleep, that's probably the best bang for your buck. All right. Now, with that being said, I know a lot of people are afraid of like having a crash Mm. after they have their initial like they have they go in there and they have their coffee or their energy drink or their pre-workout. And then there's like a crash afterwards. Is there like a reason behind that or is there or is that just how it works or how could people mitigate having that crash? So like, don't feel like they need to go for that second (laughs) round. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably because, so they were actually tired and there are certain um, compounds that bind to receptors when we're tired and, and, uh, or when we need to sleep that say, Hey, you're tired, take a nap. And then we're like, ah, F that. I'm not tired. I'm going to have this caffeine and the caffeine compounds and that will block those receptors. So we have this sort of artificial, like, I feel so peppy right now. I'm not tired at all. And then when that wears off, we're just like, oh, I'm actually still tired. Um, But one of the things that I like to do is take a nappuccino. So that's where I have, if I'm tired kind of midday and I've got to get amped up, you know, I do kind of two big work blocks. Um, I'll have my cup of coffee and then I'll take like a little 20 minute nap. And then when I wake up, like the nap has, has recuperated me, but also the coffee has kicked in and then I feel great. Um, but I do try to practice, you know, really good, uh, sleep hygiene. So I, I go to bed when I feel tired, uh, and I have the, you know, obviously not everyone's going to be able to do that, but then I, you know, kind of wake up naturally and like look right at the, the sun, the sunlight (laughs) and, uh, you know, get into a good routine like that. Cause there's really not a great way to sort of prevent that crash afterwards. 
Um, I think some people supplement with like, I can't even remember what it's called. You know, there's some compound that they say like, oh, helps prevent the crash and the jitters and whatnot. Um, not sure, you know, how strong the evidence is on that, but probably really just comes down to the basics of like having good sleep hygiene so that you're using your caffeine as a tool and it's not um, a crutch. Okay, that's what I was going to say. So it's it's basically like a Band-Aid. If you're already tired, you put the Band-Aid on it, it stops bleeding for a while, you know. Yeah. But then when you rip it off again, it starts bleeding again. Yes, so. exactly. Okay, so, all right, this is good, good, good knowledge. Well, and then along with good sleep hygiene is a lot of us actually have really terrible sleep hygiene. We're yeah. um, like looking at our electronics at night before we go to bed. Um and that already has been proven to affect your sleep, right? Yeah. You know what? It's funny because I, I think a lot of people got into those like blue light um, blocking glasses and stuff. And then there was a study that came out that was like, those don't make any difference. So I'm still up in the air because I'm like, well, it's like physiologically, this makes sense to me. Um, but that that's one thing that I think, you know, might show promise in the future. Um but yeah, certainly I think, you know, there is definitely evidence that, you know, looking at electronic screens can be, uh, uh, can, can dysregulate our normal circadian rhythms. And I think also, you know, even just if you're doing that late at night, you know, are you also like super anxious and, and stimulated by whatever you're looking at and, you know, not giving yourself the opportunity to sort of unplug and unwind and actually relax so that you can get into a sleepy state in a nice dark, cold room. You know, we have a lot of artificial light and whatnot. So even if it's not a direct cause or like the, the glasses don't work as well as we hoped, I think it's still um, a symptom that, you know, okay, we haven't gotten into a good routine and we could probably benefit from that. I know I personally started, um, I need to get back into it because I've gotten in the bad habit of looking at my phone before I go to sleep again. But I know I personally started shutting my phone off at six o'clock at night for quite a long time when I was in contest prep. And I do know that that definitely improved how fast I fell asleep and then also how well I stayed asleep. And I was really surprised by that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I well, I have to say, like, when I was on prep, my evening routine was down pat. Like, I had a strict bedtime, did not go to sleep. I didn't get into bed later than 11, so I could be asleep by 1130 and wake up by 730. And I have to say, I think that's one of the biggest contributors to just appetite regulation as well. I didn't have super severe and, and like whenever I've cut, I've really been diligent about my sleep and I don't really have severe issues with hunger. I feel like I, I don't get that sort of fatigue related hunger that sometimes, you know, even when you're not in a deficit, you'll just like get four shitty hours of sleep and you're just like famished all day. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You're doing better than me, girl, because I go to bed at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we were at a friend's house the other day and I was like, it's past my bedtime. We got to go. And, and they were like, what? Oh, <laughs> and man. I was like, um, I need to get my sleep. But then again, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning every morning. So oh, yeah, I just have to. That's my bedtime. But which is kind of hard when you're a parent and your kids want to be bouncing off the walls at you know, eight o'clock at night. But yeah, that's where I draw the line. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm done. I'm gonna see you later. <laughs> so yeah. So awesome. So key points to take away from this is it like, so is there anything unhealthy about um, stimulants and energy drinks in your eyes? Well, I mean, I think that's, I look at everything like a spectrum, like, you know, you, can we use this as a tool to improve our performance? Yes. Then we should go ahead and do that. Does it have some risks? Yes. But the risks are low if we stay within, you know, the recommended dosage and timing, the more that we stray out of that, the greater the risk. And if we go to the extremes, you know, the risks actually outweigh the benefits. So I don't usually use things like the term unhealthy, but, um, you know, a tool just like a hammer can hammer a nail or you can like break your foot with it. Ideally we hammer the nail with it. That doesn't make that the hammer bad just because we can break somebody with it. Just, you know, right. we have to use it intelligently. 
Awesome. I love that analogy. That is great. So (laughs) anyway, well, I really appreciate you coming to talk about this as I posted something on Facebook a while back um, based on just old articles and things I had been reading. And oh boy, did I get some (laughs) backfire on that boy. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, fine. I will find an expert and we will see what they say about it. Because, (sighs) you know, I, I think that it's only fair to say, okay, um, how does this affect us? And what is the numbers on it? Because, you know, that's, I'm not afraid to eat crow if something is different than what I stated, you know? Yeah, (laughs) no, uh, I have so much respect for that. Like, I think you, to, to have a solid argument, you have to be able to argue for, for both sides. So it's like, yeah, learn about, you know, what are the potential risks? What are the potential benefits? And um, that's how you can end up in the most, you know, informed place. Well, and especially with people like myself, where I am dealing with what I'm dealing with over an accumulation of multiple things that came to that conclusion. But one of the big contributors of it was the fact that I way overused stimulants. So, you know, it's hard to separate your own personal um, experiences with it and be like, oh, no, it's probably okay for you because you don't want to see anybody repeat what you've done if it's a bad thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it, it definitely, you know, things like that, you can be um, personally connected to them and probably feel a little differently about them. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that's why I sought out somebody that, you know, was adept in talking about it, because that way we can get the real spiel on it. Yes. <laughs> just, just knowing that, you know, like you said, everything in moderation. And I loved uh, the analogy with the hammer. That's a great one. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I oftentimes use that one about my kids. I'm like, okay, listen, well, I have to know that I've given them all the tools for their toolbox, but if they decide to use a rock to hammer the nail, then that's not my fault. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, well, I really appreciate you being willing to come on and talk about this. And if people want to find you, how do they go about doing that? Um, Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Vitamin PhD, and my website is vitaminphdnutrition.com. They can hit me up there if they want to work together, and they can also find me at renaissanceperiodization.com. They can just put Gabrielle RP Strengths into Google without having to spell it. That's awesome. Well, and you'll send me all that information and I'll put it in the show notes in case people want to stalk you on social media or get in touch with you. And I super appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that wraps up today's episode. I'm so thankful you took the time to tune in and I'm so thankful to Dr. Gabrielle for coming on the show and talking all about stimulants and caffeine and I'm thankful for people's different views on things as I know there's a lot of places where people don't agree on things, even um, the extremely knowledgeable people that have PhDs in these fields. So it's always nice to hear everybody's take on it and then formulate our own opinion um, likewise with that. So thank you so much again for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you next time.